Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Chris Geis. So, you want to ride a motorcycle better, faster, safer, with more skill and confidence? Or do you want to ride a motorcycle for the first time? Or ride again after taking a break from riding? Well, the purpose of my podcast is to help grow the sport of motorcycling by helping riders of all levels, whether they are new to motorcycling or not, increase their knowledge and skills so that they are better, smarter, safer riders and are getting everything they want out of motorcycling, whether it's on the street, on the track, or maybe even as a fan or a participant in some form of motorcycle racing. My game is to help all motorcyclists up their game. This is episode 38 titled The International Motorcycle Show in New York. In this episode, I update you on the latest news, including the trip that Gina and I took recently to California and getting the chance to meet up with Larry Lanes and Brian Honeycutt from the Throttle Podcast, seeing the Recycle Garage in sunny Santa Cruz, and getting to hang out with Fast Eddie from Moto Jitsu. I also ask for listener feedback for some new ideas I have for the podcast. And lastly, I talk about all of my observations and thoughts about the progressive international motorcycle show that Gina and I attended back in December. This episode is being recorded and published on Thursday, February 27th, 2020. I hope you enjoy it. So, you want to ride a motorcycle? Well, you've come to the right place. Because this is the So You Want to Ride a Motorcycle podcast. This episode is brought to you in part by the following supporters of my podcast. Thumper Club member G4, Parallel Twin Club members Shane Patilla and Jerry Vavaro, and V-Twin Club members Richard Warfield Jr. of R-Dub Studios LLC, and Harley Nemzer from the On the Road Again Motorcycle School. Gentlemen, as always, thank you very much for your support. If you would like to join these supporters to help grow my podcast and other motorcycle-related content, please stay tuned to the end of this episode or check out the podcast supporters link on my website. All right, all right, all right. Well, uh, hello, everyone. So it's been uh, almost a month. Actually, I think tomorrow is a month since uh, I released the last episode, which means that's two New Year's resolutions that I've blown so far. The first one was about getting an episode out every week, which uh, I think I haven't been doing too good. I think the last two have been averaging about a month per episode. So I got some work to do there. And then the other was getting out and writing more frequently, which I'll talk about a little bit later. Um, but that hasn't quite worked out the way I planned either. But, uh, you know, the best laid plans of mice and men or however that quote goes from that from that poem. So, uh, yeah. So I uh, just want to get into some news and updates before I get into kind of the meat of the episode. So uh, fortunately, did get that water boiler problem handled before uh, Gina and I got to head out va- for vacation, which was really cool. And that was one of the reasons I wasn't able to get out more episodes. It was just a lot of planning around getting that whole water boiler thing handled, you know, picking picking a vendor and finding a guy to do it and all the preparation work and stuff. And, you know, I'd had to, the thing sits between the kitchen and the living room. It was like kind of in a little closet. And so I had to tear down the closet wall, one of the closet walls so that they could get the thing out and install the new one. 
and then how to put up a new wall, which I've actually done now is something that's removable. So it'll be easier to service the boiler and whatnot in the future. So I don't know, I'll, I'll save the details for maybe I'll start doing a home improvement uh, podcast or something. But anyway, um, so, so that all worked out pretty well. So between that and then, you know, finalizing plans and all the things you got to do before you go on vacation, just was, wasn't able to get out uh, another episode. But um, it was really great vacation. Jean and I had a great time. We uh, we actually flew into San Francisco on a Saturday and then uh, drove down the Pacific Coast Highway for the most part down to San Diego during the week. And then we uh, we left that Saturday. Uh, we took on a really early flight, actually both times, kind of red eye kind of flights, just so we had the most time in California possible. But uh, all right, so it was a really, really cool trip. Uh, really, really enjoyed it and uh, look forward to getting back to California again sometime. We didn't do any bike-related stuff. Um, specifically, I mean, we, we didn't ride bikes. Um, it would have been really cool, but there's, there's a couple things. One, you know, Gina is not really up to the point yet of doing long multi-day rides, you know, and like she's never ridden in the ride, never ridden in the rain and, and probably wouldn't be comfortable doing that. So, you know, you do a trip like that, like a week-long trip, you know, you could hit anything and you got to prepare for it and have the gear and whatever. So, so that was part of it. But the other thing was that, you know, we did cover a lot of ground. We had a lot of things we wanted to see. And th- this was not planned as a motorcycle trip. This was planned as, you know, I- I've seen a lot of parts of California, but this was kind of a chance for her to get to see parts of, you know, a lot of California that she's never seen. She'd been there once, once or twice before, uh, but hadn't had a chance to see as much of it as I had. And so anyway, long story short, we're kind of looking one of these days, we may look to move to a warmer climate than where we are now. Um, partly one, not, not, not specifically this reason, but you know, partly warmer climate to just have, uh, more opportunities to ride. I'd love to be in a place that's closer to, uh, motorcycle tracks, racetracks and things of that sort where there's more activity going on as far as, you know, motorcycling and track days and that kind of stuff. But anyway, so part of the trip was also kind of just giving her a chance to see California and see, you know, would it be someplace she'd be interested in moving to? So we'll, we'll have to see. I mean, no decisions on that. And it would be probably a couple of years before we did something like that. But one of, one of the destinations we wanted to check out. Um, we did think we might rent bikes in San Diego when we got down there. That just didn't pan out. Um, it just worked out. Yeah, we could have done it, but we just didn't have, wouldn't have had enough time to see, you know, actually it was basically like when we looked at it, it's like, well, you know, it'd be kind of cool, rent bikes or whatever, but there was so much that we wanted to do. There was so much on the uh, itinerary, so many things we wanted to see that it, it, it just didn't pan out and it would have just been kind of rushing around and whatever and whatever. So that ended up not happening, but overall it was a really, really cool trip. We did bring some gear with us uh, just in case we did get a chance to rent bikes. And uh, actually, just an opportunity, again, for me to to plug my friends at Bond Body Armor because uh, one of the things that was cool was I'm like, all right, I don't know that we're going to get a chance to ride, so I don't want to like pack a lot of gear and take a lot of space in my luggage. But if we did have the chance, I wanted to have you know some decent stuff with me. you know. So I had uh, basically packed my Bond Armor pants and shirt, which was really cool because you know it's very light, very compact, easy to pack. And then pretty much I could wear that, you know, just under whatever clothes I brought for the trip, you know, a pair of jeans and whatever jacket I, I was wearing, you know, based on the weather conditions and stuff. And then I packed, you know, two pairs of gloves and my helmet liner. And, you know, I figured, OK, if we rented bikes, I'd rent a helmet, too, because it's a little bulky to carry a helmet and everything else I wanted to carry. 
particularly because I had all my camera gear with me, which that, that's a whole other thing. That was a ton of fun shooting photos, especially with my new giant zoom lens that some of you may have seen. If you follow me on Instagram or Facebook, this big uh, 200 to 500 millimeter Nikon lens thing weighs like about five pounds. Um, it's one of those lenses that's so big that, you know, if you use a tripod, you can't mount the camera body to the tripod. You actually there's actually a mount on the lens to mount to the tripod just so yeah because it would just be too much weight and too much pressure on the uh, camera body itself but anyway so that worked out really good bringing the bond armor um i didn't use it like i said but it also didn't cost me a lot of space or whatever and you know had we had a chance to ride it would have been all set and uh yeah that was that was pretty much it and i did bring my my road my road uh what do you call it road id uh which i you know the bracelet that i wear with my identification information blood type and whatnot it's you know, little bracelets easy to pack, but uh, I, I do carry that with me as well. Right, and I, I use that when I ride. So, um, yeah, it's kind of interesting. Just some things, just regarding just kind of observations about motorcycling. It was kind of interesting. I mean, we did obviously see motorcycles, um, and the weather. You know, when we were pretty much the whole time, like from San Francisco down to San Diego. You know, the coolest weather we hit was maybe low 40s. You know, that was like early morning or later evening. Uh, we did get upwards, upper 60s, maybe almost 70, like down San Diego area. So the, the, the weather was beautiful. It was sunny the whole time. We had a little bit of rain on the last Saturday we were there in San Diego. But other than that, it was awesome. You know, definitely great, great place, great climate for, for riding. Um, but honestly, we didn't see as many motorcycles as I expected, like, uh, you know, definitely the motorcycles were out there, but and and compared to what you see on Long Island this time of year, yeah, it was more. But I don't know, it just it wasn't kind of what I expected. So I don't know if that's related to kind of where we were. You know, it was during the week, so you know we we weren't really driving during commuting hours. You know, that we were on vacation, right? So we weren't like up really early and stuff. You know, having a nice breakfast and whatever. So. Uh, you know, it's possible we miss people who were basically commuting, maybe not a lot of people on vacation on motorcycles and such. But anyway, that was kind of interesting. Uh, we did see, of course, see a fair amount of lane splitting, which was really cool to observe. You know, it's obviously a perk of living in California if you're a motorcyclist. Um, we did see plenty signs of electric vehicles and stuff, which, of course, you know, I expected, you know, mostly electric cars. I, honestly, I don't recall seeing any electric motorcycles, but you know, they might have been out there, maybe the occasional zero. You know, we did see lots of charging stations and stuff. But again, it was interesting, not really as much as I expected. Um, you know, compared to like here in New York, it wasn't like, and again, could be related to where we were, you know, where where we were traveling around and what where we were sightseeing and stuff. But um, it just wasn't, you know, it wasn't like 10 times what you see here in New York. It was, you know, maybe a little bit, maybe twice as much, something like that. I think, you know, we didn't see many more Teslas in California than we see normally in New York. So that was kind of interesting. But again, maybe related to, to where we were and, and whatnot. So we didn't ride motorcycles, but what was really cool was we did hang out with some motorcycle people. So that, that was, that was really cool. That was, that was a big highlight of the trip, you know, um, being that we were going to be in California, you know, I've gotten to know a bunch of people out there through podcasting and, you know, through the internet and social media and whatnot. So I did the best I could to kind of, uh, it was kind of 
last minute because I was doing so much else leading up to going on vacation. So it was kind of when, when we hit the ground, you know, I started kind of messaging people, hey, you know, we're going to be such and such place around such and such day. You know, if you're around, it'd be awesome to meet up with you. And fortunately, we were able to, to work that out in a couple of cases. So uh, we did get a chance. Gene and I uh, had dinner one night with uh, Larry Lanes, you know, who is co-host on the Throttle podcast, you know, one of my compatriots on on the Throttle podcast. So that was really cool. So Larry was awesome getting to hang out with you. Um, he suggested this really nice restaurant. The name escapes me. But uh if anyone's interested, I'll find out, or maybe maybe Larry will shoot it to me if he's listening. Um, but it was uh, you know on on the on the coast, you know, kind of across across the road from the beach, so you could see the beach. And we got there just to, just before sunset, so we got to see the sun setting, which was really good. Had some nice seafood, and uh, Gina and I shared a a flight of uh, it was also like a, a microbrewery, so they had a, a lot of beers on hand. So we we shared a flight of I think it was maybe actually it was interesting. I think it was eight eight different ones plus four or something. So at any rate, between the two of us, that was, that was more than enough alcohol. Uh, but it was really good just to try that out. And, uh, that the, the food was really good. They had fried calamari, which I really liked. And, uh, the entree I had is escaping me right now, but I do know it was good. I really enjoyed it. So, so that was cool. So Larry, thanks. Thanks for meeting up with us uh, at the last minute. We did get to see his bike, his new, uh, this, the, his, uh, Kawasaki versus 650 really nice uh, kind of all blacked out he's got you know some headlights on it and stuff so he you know did ride down to meet us he lives if I remember correctly a little bit north of uh, San Francisco so it sounded like he had a nice ride down and then Larry I'm hoping you had a nice ride back home too so that was really cool and then um, we did pass through the Santa Cruz area so that was our opportunity to check out the recycled garage now, unfortunately, well, two things. One, as far as I know, Liza Miller was uh, in in England because they were doing the uh, kind of wrap-up party, you know, the, the end of this year's wrap-up party for the Women Riders World Relay. So she was over there hanging out with Haley Bell and the admins and whatnot. You know, we saw some of the video and the posts and stuff on social media, which is really cool. So it looked like they had a blast. So that was one of the things. I mean, Liza wasn't in town anyway. Uh, but it was just kind of we didn't totally plan it right. You know, we we did actually we got to Santa Cruz on Sunday, but it was by the time we got there, it was fairly late. You know, the, the garage was no longer active. I'm, I'm assuming they kind of wind down five, six, you know, in the, in the evening or whatever. Um you know, and it was I think like I said, eight or something, eight thirty. We got there and we're tired. Dropped the stuff in the hotel. Had something to eat, and yeah, maybe we could have tried to crash their uh, podcast recording because I believe they uh, they record. It was a Sunday we were there, so I believe they record Sunday nights. But you know, combination of one, we were kind of tired and we hadn't you know set it up ahead of time, so I don't want to be uh, too much of a gate crash or anything. But uh, it would have been cool to kind of hang out, and I, I just wish we had made it earlier in the day. We could have we could have met up with everyone, but. Next time we go to California, we'll make sure that happens. But we we did um, the Monday morning um, before we had breakfast. We did swing by, you know, just so we could see it. And actually, it was kind of cool. There was a guy out in the street. We're like, hey, you know, we, we had the right address, but we're like, where, you know, where's the you know recycled garage? He's like, oh, it's back there. And actually, he was telling us about Liza and some of the antics and things that he's observed there. And he said, oh, these guys, the people are great, and they always have a good time. So that was really cool to just to see that. Obviously, they have a good relationship with people in the neighborhood. Um, all right, so we kind of checked out the, the setup. You know, you, anyone who uh, follows their Facebook page, you know, I've seen photos and stuff, but you know, it's basically a, a bit of a parking, not a parking lot, but like a paved parking area between some buildings, and then there's a bit of a garage and then kind of a 
temporary garage setup or whatever. And I hope uh, hope Liza doesn't mind. It was open, but I kind of like took a peek under the tent just to see the bikes and stuff she's got in there. So that was really kind of cool. So at any rate, it, w- it was nice, even though we didn't get to meet everybody and hang out. At least we got a little feeling for the Recycle Garage and what it's all about. Obviously, it's I'm sure it's a much, much better much, much cooler scene with people around. You know, it's, it's always looks so lively when I see the photos and stuff on uh, Facebook and whatever. But anyway, like I said, next time we'll have to plan that better. Uh, but after that, Gina and I did hang out with Brian Honeycutt and his girlfriend. Um, you know, for those of you that listen to Throttled, actually, Brian has been on a couple different podcasts. I think he's been on um, Loud Pipes, and he's probably been on Motorcycles and Misfits. I know he knows, you know, the, the crew from Recycle Garage. Um, but he's now on and off a co-host on Throttle Podcast with Larry and myself, so that's really cool. So I'd never met him in person, so that was really awesome. You know, thank you, Brian. He uh, he bought uh, Gina and I breakfast, so that was really cool. Greatly appreciated. Um, now we got to hang out and chat with him and his girlfriend. We talked a little bit. I know on Throttled, he talked about the trip he's planning up to Alaska. He's planning to ride his uh, BMW GS up to the uh, Arctic Circle. So we talked about that a little bit. That sounds that sounds like a ton of fun. He's pretty much got it all worked out in his head. And you know, you guys can you know let, let, listen to the Throttle Podcast, and you'll hear the details about it. And then uh, it, we didn't actually talk a lot about it. And okay, maybe I'll have to have her on the podcast if she's willing. But uh, Brian's girlfriend evidently actually raced um, motocross. I, I don't think she still races, but she did race motocross. And evidently she's been riding for, for quite a long time. I guess that's in part how they how they met. But uh, so, so that was really cool. And it was interesting, too, because at breakfast they were talking about she was looking at getting a BMW G310GS. And like, I don't know. I'm not sure new used and I'm not sure where she had seen it, but uh, I think it was only, it was like the next day or two days later, I saw a post, Brian put something up on Facebook that she actually got the bike. So that, that was really cool to just be there and have them talking about it. And then uh, next thing you know, she, she pulled the trigger and she got the bike. So I hope she enjoys that. So yes, it was awesome meeting you guys, Brian. So uh, yeah, hopefully we'll have a chance to meet up again sometime. And uh, obviously I will see you the next time we're both on the throttle podcast together. And then, uh, yeah, so that was Santa Cruz. So we drove down a day or two more, made our way down to, to San Diego, which is a uh, hometown now to Greg Widmar, you know, also known as Fast Eddie, the man behind Moto Jitsu. So Gene and I got a chance to have breakfast with, with Greg, which was really cool. That was a lot, a lot of fun. Um, great guy, which, you know, anyone that follows him on social media, Facebook knows him, like his personality. He's a lot of fun to talk to, you know, very knowledgeable about a lot of different things. Um, for anyone that's not that familiar with him, I interviewed him back on episode nine. So go, go check that out. But, uh, yeah, so he's got a lot of stuff going on. Obviously, if you, you know, if you follow him on YouTube and Facebook and whatnot, you kind of have an idea, but, uh, he's, he's working on his fourth book, which I think will be coming out soon. Um, and he's, he's changed a couple other things. He's got a new truck. I think he had a car, uh, like a small four-door sedan. He's now got a really cool pickup truck, which is good for hauling around his new bike. And actually, I didn't realize I had seen you know, a posting where he, where he mentioned he had gotten another. I thought it was a second bike. It's uh, basically a supermoto, a Suzuki, if I'm not mistaken, DR400, something like that. I'm, I'm not real up on supermoto supermoto bike so apologize if i got that wrong but uh it turns out he was telling us that and i guess he had talked about it on one of his videos that his uh bmw um what do you call it yeah the r1000r uh was stolen evidently so 
we didn't get into the details of it, but you know, and I'm just wondering now if someplace on some uh, black market website or something, you know, is a posting for hey, buy Fast Eddie's, you know, BMW R one thousand R, like something like that. But anyway, so that, that really sucked. But you know, whatever. So he, I'm guessing he got the insurance money from it, and it, it sounded like everything worked out okay. And he decided it was just time for time for a different bike. You know, and he mentioned the fact that he always recommends to people, you know, make sure you have a motorcycle or choose a motorcycle that you know meets your current needs, like the your goals, whatever it is, your current goals and things you want to accomplish in motorcycling. And it sounds like he's getting more and more interested in the track. So he, you know, wanted one a bike that was more suitable for the track and like not too overpowered. And in particular, you know, he mentioned there's a track not far from where he lives that it's a smaller track. It's not like a big, big racetrack, but I guess it's one of those kind of combination because you see them, they're they're pretty common now, like these kind of go-kart slash, you know, uh, supermoto tracks. So it's a smaller track, you know, lower speeds, I guess, but a lot of turns and twisties, you know, kind of technical where you can really work on refining, you know, your turning and cornering and all that kind of stuff. So that's kind of a, a different thing that he's getting into. So that, so that, anyway, so that looks really cool. So kind of a, an, I guess a new phase of his motorcycling career. I know not long ago he put out a, a video. He did an interview with uh, Lee Parks, uh, kind of regarding Supermoto. I don't remember the exact title, but something like, uh, you know, it's like uh, knee down versus leg out. You know, difference in kind of you know road race style you know, versus supermoto kind of riding style. So anyway, so you could go check all that out. But anyway, it was a ton of fun meeting up with him. Gene and I got picked, you know, took pictures with him. We had to do the selfie thing while we were there, right? Touristy kind of thing. Got a chance to meet meet Fast Eddie in person. So that was really cool. So Greg, thanks again for uh, meeting up with us. It was a ton of fun. And uh, yeah, look 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 out for all the new stuff that uh, Fast Eddie's got, got coming up. Um, now, when we got back from vacation... I did get in a ride, so that was really cool. So that was only my second ride of the new year. So, you know, I had talked about I rode on New Year's Day, which was awesome. I thought I was going to be riding at least once a week. Hasn't quite happened, but I'm working on getting getting that handled. But, uh, you know, we had come back on a Saturday, and it was actually a good idea. Gina had suggested, hey, you know, let's not come back on the Sunday late. Let's come back Saturday. Actually, ended up being early Sunday morning, but... You know, we got back real early, got some sleep, and then I was. It was a beautiful day. It wasn't too cold. It was like, let's say, upper forties, lower fifties, something like that. And the sun was out. I was like, okay, I got to get on the bike. It, it's been too long. I saw too many people on motorcycles, and just talking with people about motorcycles, and you know, meeting up with all the people I just mentioned. It's like, I got to get out on the bike. I, I can't stand this anymore. So I got out for a couple hours, probably did about 40 miles or something like that, but had a, had an awesome time. It was really, really good. So so that was good. So that was a kind of a good way to, it was like the icing on the cake, you know, the cherry on the sundae was a good way to kind of end, end off the vacation. Um, and it did give me a chance because, you know, I've talked about, well, actually in an upcoming episode, I'll talk more, but I've posted things and I've mentioned, I think on the, on the podcast that I have this new Arise Signet X helmet, which I hadn't had a chance to wear yet, uh, which I did on this ride. It's like, okay, perfect opportunity. I got to try out this new helmet. Um, it worked out great. The only thing that was a little different for me was I don't have a comm system in it yet. And actually I posted a something on Facebook, uh, I'm trying to decide what comm system to go for, and I kind of asked people for advice and suggestions. So if you have any advice, you know, let me know what you think. Basically, what I've gotten so far, and quite a few people responded, was you know, kind of not surprisingly, the top choices were Senna, 
um, you know, like the 30, 30X, I think it is, um, you know, one of the center units or the Cardo, like the Cardo Bold and whatnot. Um, that seems to be the, the, the two popular choices, which doesn't surprise me at all. Um, you know, I do want a unit. Primarily, it's going to be used for intercom for Gene and I when we ride together. Uh, and then music and, you know, connection to the phone for navigation, like Google Maps and stuff like that. Um, but, you know, I, I will use it, you know, if I have an opportunity to group ride or, you know, ride with other people, I do want to be able to, to kind of hook up. So maybe it's time to look for a unit, you know, like the 30, 30X or 30S or whatever it is. I, I don't know all the center model numbers, but um, one that has the mesh, mesh communication option. So anyway, if anyone's got experience or want to give me some suggestions on a comm system for my Araya helmet, let me know. Uh, but anyway, but it was weird. I'm so used to, like, I love riding with music, uh, just listening to music. And I've got all different playlists that I use depending on the mood that I'm in and the type of riding that I'm doing. So it was weird not having that and just having it quiet in my helmet, quiet with the exception, obviously, of the <laughs> the sound of the bike and whatever, which, you know, you can hear when I'm listening to music, but obviously comes through a lot more when, when I'm not listening to music. So it was nice to do for a change because usually I listen to music. Um, you know, I will say it gave me a chance to check out the noise level on this helmet. I wouldn't say it's super quiet and I didn't do any riding at anything like above 60 just because of the nature of the riding I was doing. So I can't say it at like highway speeds what it's going to be, but it, it was like I was pretty happy with it. it. It's it's definitely quiet enough. It's quieter than the built helmets that I have. So that that's a good thing. You know, I didn't buy this new helmet for the quietness. I, I bought it because I wanted the protection. You know, it is Snell, Snell 2015 rated um, because I wanted a helmet that's appropriate for when I start doing track days. And I believe I've mentioned coming up in May, I'm going to be doing California Superbike School for two days. So, you know, I, I wanted suitable equipment for the track that I can also be better protected when I'm riding on the street. Um, but anyway, so the helmet, the helmet worked out great. Um, like I said, I was out for a couple hours, was comfortable the whole time. The only thing I noticed, which was kind of odd, and maybe some of the more experienced riders listening will have thoughts about this, is... I actually felt like the the back right side of my head kind of like a cold spot. Um, now it was cooler weather that I was riding, and I had been playing with like there's all kinds of ventilation things on the helmet. You know, there's actually vents at the top of the visor, you know, there's vents at the top of the helmet, and there's a vent in the back and whatever, uh, a chin vent. And initially I had them all open. One actually, that was one thing I wasn't too happy with with the helmet was it was fogging up like crazy. Um, now with the built helmets. I don't, I, I get fogging, but not, not as bad as this was. So, you know, I don't know, whatever, just maybe different design of the helmet. So anyway, I had all the vents open because I wanted to get as much airflow as possible to avoid the fogging. Uh, you know, one thing, and I'll talk about this in the episode where I talk about this helmet and selecting a helmet. Um, this helmet, as best I can tell, is properly sized for my head, whereas the other helmets are actually too big. And that's actually a common problem with helmets, particularly for newer riders. And again, that's something I'll talk about in that upcoming episode. But um, so I'm wondering, because it, it, so in part what that does, one, because of the design of helmet and maybe, and because this is more properly sized for me is the chin bar is closer. And so I think the visor's a little closer. Uh, plus the, uh, that kind of, I forget what you call it, the nose guard, the breath guard is shaped a little bit differently. So it may just be getting used to this new helmet and learning to breathe a little differently when I'm at stoplights and whatever. But anyway, so the point I'm getting to is it was fogging up. So that was the only thing I was bummed about. 
what the good news is, and I haven't tried it yet, is this helmet did come with a pin lock. The visor, you know, the helmet is set up for pin lock, and it came with a pin lock insert, which is a little added bonus. So I have to try that. That may totally solve the problem. Um, the other thing I have to try is I'm so used to having in the built helmets the internal drop-down sunshield that when I was riding into the sun, I was actually, in, in some cases, when it was really bad, having to take my clutch hand, my left hand, off the handlebar and kind of hold it up to block the sun. Uh, I did buy, I have, Arai has this optional visor that has an externally mounted sunshield because they don't they don't believe in internally mounted sunshields because they believe it weakens the helmet and lessens the protection that the helmet provides. But so I'll have to actually put that visor on. So it's basically got like an external flip up, flip up, flip down sunshield. So I'll have to try that out as well. But um, anyway, so getting back to this uh, this cold spot. So helmet was great. You know, okay, the fogging, but eventually that was fine. And so, like I said, I was playing with the vents and stuff. And eventually I was riding long enough and the sun's starting to go down. It was getting cool. So I was like, okay, I closed up the vents. <clears throat> but even with all the vents closed, I had like this cold spot in the back right side of my head. And it's just weird. Like I can't explain it in terms of the venting and whatever. Um, what I'm wondering, I, I thought I had read something about this, that it could be related to having a pressure point or like a hot spot in the helmet. Like maybe something is not, you know, it, it may be too tight in that section or something. And the pressure after a while is coming across as feeling cold. So anyway, if anyone's familiar with that kind of stuff or maybe knows more about helmet fitting or has experienced something like that, let me know. I'd just be, be curious about that. So before I get into the meat of this episode, I did have a couple ideas or, or questions I have for you listeners. You know, as as much as possible, I try to get your feedback on things um, just so, you know, I want to provide content that people are looking for, you know, or are interested in hearing. I mean, you know, in part, I do what interests me and I hope that that will interest other people. But, you know, I, I do want to put out content that's you know, of interest to as many, as many listeners as possible. So, uh, some ideas, you know, if, if you're willing, I love getting feedback and I love hearing from the listeners. So, you know, shoot me an email, uh, so you want to ride at yahoo.com or go to, so you want to ride a motorcycle.com, the website, you know, you could fill out the, the form there, the contact us form or whatever message me on social media, Instagram, or you know, whatever works for you is fine. Um, you know, no promises on any of this, but just a couple ideas I'm toying with. And I just wanted to see, you know, if there's any interest on this kind of stuff. And then based on that, I can kind of shape, fine tune things and whatever. So first thing was, I've had had the thought for some time, and I did a couple of those 15 minutes of motorcycles, all of which I think ended up being much longer than 15 minutes, but doing a, what I call a news, newsy type episodes. And the idea being it kind of kind of served two purposes. One, so, so the basic idea was one, I, I want to do the best I can to stay on top of the industry and what's going on. Like, for example, if you listen to Throttled, we, we generally, for at least part of the show, cover like what kind of what's, you know, some of the, the stories out in the industry. You know, we look at the various websites, whether it's asphalt and rubber or, you know, cycle news or you know, whatever it happens to be kind of see what the what the articles and stories are and you know we'll, we'll kind of talk about that and you know give some information from the article and, and give our opinions and kind of gives a point you know talking point for us to to go over um so not not like that because i don't want to copy what we do on throttle or anything but i, I want to do the best i can to stay up on what's happening in the industry and so i was like okay well what if i did episodes where like let's say it was fairly short, 15 to 30 minutes or something like that, where basically what I would do is just kind of bullet point, like 
okay, so here's what's going on. You know, here's some things Asphalt and Rubber is talking about, and here's some things that this source is talking about, and these various other sources. And not going into any kind of depth, because obviously you can go to those places and, and check it out, but it's kind of thinking, you know, it might be kind of convenient. You're riding in the car or your motorcycle or whatever, and it's like a fairly short episode of, hey, here's everything that's going on. You know, it may be things that you missed or weren't aware of, and then, you know, I've got links in the show notes, or you can go Google search it and, you know, actually find, read the actual article or listen to the actual podcast episode or, or watch the YouTube video, or whatever happens to be. But so let me know if, if that would be of any value to you. Uh, the other thing I'm looking at, and again, there's no promises on this, is, you know, as listeners know, I do, you know, I'm very interested in motorcycle racing. I've done a fair amount of motorcycle racing content, and I plan to continue doing that as situations allow. Um, but one of the things I've I'm toying with is the idea of splitting this into two podcasts. So one that's focused at, you know, just motorcyclists, motorcycle riding, not just new riders. You know, again, the thing of I want to help everyone you know, improve their skills and up their game in motorcycling. But, you know, kind of that would be one thread or one stream. And then as a separate podcast, uh, do the motorcycle racing related stuff. So let me know like your thoughts on that. You know, I know many of the listeners also like motorcycle racing. So maybe you like it combined together. I know some people have said, hey, you know, I never really paid attention to motorcycle racing, but because you talk about it, I'm getting interested some people are like, nah, I don't, I don't listen to those episodes, which is fine. Like, I totally get it. So l let me know what you think. Um, you know, should is it okay to just kind of keep it together and you just skip the ones that are motorcycle-related if you're not interested, or would you prefer to see me kind of split it into two? Uh, like I said, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure I'll do that. It will require, you know, a lot more work and, you know, whatever, legwork and, and whatnot to do, uh, a little more expense and whatnot. But anyway, something, something I'm kicking around. Uh, the other thing, and again, no promises on this, I'm just throwing ideas out there. Uh, one of the things I'm really interested in is the history of motorcycling, you know, just everything, like the whole evolution, you know, how motorcycles have evolved over the years, the different types of engines and why they were developed and frame styles and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, anyone that listens to Motorcycles and Misfits knows that they have a segment uh, called Emma's History Hole, which I haven't. I haven't been listening to many motorcycle podcasts lately just because just unfortunately just haven't had the time. The ones I listen to tend to be really more motorcycle racing focused because that's the, the thing I'm most interested in and where I'm trying to absorb the most information. So anyway, I don't know if they've been keeping up with that, but they were really, really good episodes. And so I was thinking, again, not to copy what someone else is doing, but the idea of doing either episodes or maybe even a separate podcast that was like history of motorcycling. So again, it serves two purposes. One, it gets me educated. And then in the process of educating myself, I've got material that I can share, you know, with everyone else. So if that's of any interest to you, let me know. And I kind of will, will go from there. All right. So that was like the first course. And uh, now let's get into the main course, the meat of this episode. So title of this episode, the International Motorcycle Show in New York. So what I wanted to do, I've been wanting to do this episode for a while. Back in early December, it was like the second or third or something like that. And in fact, actually, hold on, I'm going to check the timestamp on my photos. Uh, the 7th, December 7th, it looks like. Uh, that's right, because I remember it being, if I'm not mistaken, Pearl Harbor Day. Um, but uh, yeah, so Gene and I went to the International, the Progressive International Motorcycle Show in New York City. That's that show that you know travels around the country. They've got a number of stops. I don't know six, eight, whatever it is nowadays. Um, but uh, yeah, so I just want to talk about 
just my observations and things there. Now it's been a while. It's what's going on almost two months. Um, so it's been, yeah, let me see. Jenner, one, two, three months. It's almost three months, right? Uh, yeah. Hold on a second. Okay. Yeah. I had to get my thoughts together there. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's almost three months going on three months. Um, but yeah, I just thought, you know, the, the, the data is still relevant to things that are there. So I just want to kind of share my thoughts and observations um, just to kind of help joggle my memory a little bit. I'm actually just going to look through the photos that I took, you know, I take lots of photos with uh, with the cell phone while I was there. But uh, really good show. Enjoyed it a lot. Um, in terms of turnout, it's it's kind of hard to say. Like, I, I didn't see any actual numbers or anything like that. But um I, I I don't know. To me, it seemed about the same size as the prior year, so two, two, December two thousand eighteen. Um, about the same floor space. It felt like about the same number of attendees and whatnot. Um, but uh, yeah, but but there were there were some noticeable things, including like the vendor representation and whatnot. But before I get into that, just uh, looking at the photo here reminds me of some some people that we uh, met up with. So. Um, when we got there, we met up with Shauna and Eugene Sanderson from the Women Riders World Relay, right? So Shauna is uh, is one of the admins, and I'm trying to remember now. I think she handled, if I remember, she handled everything for the U.S. part of the of the relay, and then uh, her husband Eugene is the guy that he made the baton and everything that you know traveled around the world and whatnot. And actually, I recently saw on on it was youtube facebook uh jesto and lane actually did well, actually they they did the wrap up party that was in london for women riders world relay but um yeah sorry so uh some place someone i don't know someone associated with with warwar had uh, put together or actually maybe eugene had done it a video like of all the photos of the process of him creating the baton and the case and all that kind of stuff it was really cool so you can go to the uh Go to the Warware website and uh, and check that out. Or if you can't find it, let me know. I'll try to I'll try to share the link for you. But uh, anyway, so we met up with them. So that was really cool. They were there with their kids, and so I guess the kids could only absorb so much motorcycles and stuff. So uh, they left, I think, a little earlier than we did. But uh, we at least got to to meet up with them at the beginning of the show. And then uh, Kristen and her husband from Bon Armor were there, so I had a chance to to meet them in person. So that was really cool. That was a lot of fun getting to hang out and talk with them. So that's kind of nice, you know. It's like you, you you get to know people via the phone and social media and whatever, and then get to meet in person. So so that was really cool. So yeah, so so kind of moving along here, just flipping through the photos and stuff. So yeah, so of course Harley Davidson was there. You know, they they uh, they had a booth. What was interesting was Indian was not there. Um, now the the one of the local the local Indian dealer on Long Island was there. Um, but if I'm not mistaken, and I think one of these photos shows the, the map of the whole floor of the, of the exhibit, um, I think initially they weren't, I don't know. I think that was kind of a last minute thing. I don't know how that all came together, but, um, all right, that, that's the dealer that, it, that Gina actually bought her scout 60 from. But anyway, the photo I'm looking at here is actually of Gina sitting on the live wire. So that was kind of cool. They had, uh, two live wires, you know, the, the electric motorcycle set up, uh, on, you know, basically like little dyno setups or whatever so you could get on the thing and you know just kind of play with the accelerator and, and the brakes and whatnot so she got a chance to do that i was a little bummed um fortunately she had remembered to bring her harley davidson demo card like when you sign up to do demos they give you this card i guess that's associated with all your license information that they keep on file so then you have another opportunity and you can go demo harley davidson motorcycles you just show them the card and they know you're all cool to go um, I didn't have my card on me, although I had one. 
And it was like this whole rigmarole to get another one. And by the time I did, you know, she was done with her demo ride. I was like, nah, whatever. We, we went off and did something else. So I didn't get my chance to uh, ride, ride the live wire on the, uh, on the dyno, but that's fine. You know, I'd rather ride one on the street anyway. So we'll have to see if we can uh, get that done one of these days. But anyway, so it was kind of cool. She got a chance to do that. Um, and then, uh, yes, yeah, so it was, it was kind of cool. I mean, Harley had, you know, fairly big display if I'm not mistaken, um, and this is not a Kawasaki fanboy thing, and I'll try to look at the the photo of the map in a minute. I'm pretty sure Kawasaki had a, a larger display, in part because they also had watercraft there, so that's kind of unfair. You can't really count that. Um, but anyway, Har- Harley did have a really big display. Um, and in particular, one of the things that photos I'm looking at here is they had on display, you know, the, the, the upcoming bikes, the uh, the Street Fighter and the uh, the adventure bike uh, and here I'm just looking at a photo they had like in a actually not in a case but they just have the uh, 975 engine just sitting out I guess that's the one that's going to be used in the uh, actually I'm not sure I guess that's the one that's going to be in the street fighter um, but it was kind of cool that they had stuff on display but so here like they're showing this one which I guess is the one that's going to become the Bronx you know they've got a sign on it on the, the floor it's a styling prototype um, so, okay, maybe the thing's a little delicate and breakable and, you know, maybe there's things on it that aren't real and they don't want people to know that or whatever, but it was like in this glass case, basically. And then same thing, um, they had the, the adventure bike is also a styling prototype and it's also in a glass case, which is kind of fine. Like on the one hand, I get it. Like if they're not real production bikes and maybe there's just one or two of them, they don't want people touching them and whatever. So I, I get the idea of protecting them. But the problem was these glass cases were reflecting so much stuff from around that it was really hard. One, it was, it was horrible to get pictures. And two, it was even in some cases a little difficult to see the details I wanted to see. So that, that was like a little disappointing, but it was, it was cool. Nonetheless, that they had the bikes there. The thing that was really cool was the way they had this set up was, you know, this was kind of in, in a portion of their exhibit. And then kind of on either side of these cases, they had like these walls set up displaying like various like drawings and things of like the prototype and development phases, you know, the artist renditions and stuff of all the different motorcycles and things they've been working on and tinkering with and whatever over the, I guess the past couple of years. So it was kind of cool to see just, you know, obviously there's a lot of stuff has been going on surrounding, you know, concepts and coming out with new ideas and I guess leading to the development of these bikes and stuff. So, so that was really cool. So like they have here a sketch, it's just a basically red ink on white paper version A of the adventure bike. So it's kind of interesting. And then uh, here's one of the, like the street fighter type bike. So all kinds of design concept sketches and stuff like that. They have a sketch of something called the Trans Am. And then they have on thing. I, I, I guess this is kind of you know, I'm not much about, I don't know much about design. I've never like designed things. I'm not an industrial designer or whatever, but uh, they've, they've got like words on here, like unstoppable, utilitarian, and it says Atlanta to Texarkana. So I don't, I don't know, maybe those are kind of design concepts and ideas of, of what they wanted to present in the bikes. It's obvious the sketch is not either one of the bikes. Like it's actually looks somewhere in between like the Bronx, you know, the Street Fighter bike and the, uh, this new adventure bike they're coming out with the was it the Pan America? Um, anyway, it's so kind of cool just to to look at all that kind of stuff, the ideas and things that they were tinkering with. It, it gives you, it does give you appreciation. You know, all the manufacturers do this, but it does give an appreciation for, you know, what they go through and what it takes to develop a new product. Um, here's another design sketch. I know a podcast, right? You can't see what I'm looking at, but just some cool kind of stuff. 
maybe I'll try to actually, maybe I'll try to post these photos um, when I, when I release the podcast so you can kind of have an idea. You can just go to the Facebook page and kind of check out the photos and stuff. But anyway, it's some really cool design concepts. Uh, here's a picture of me sitting on the FXDR, which, you know, looks like a really cool bike. I'd love to test ride one. Definitely. You know, I don't, don't, don't think I'd buy one, but I think for fun, it'd be really cool. Uh, but basically it's a picture of me sitting on the bike with my shin jammed up against the air cleaner, which is a something I've commented before on podcasts. It's just, I don't know. It's a thing with, with me and Harley's, you know, one, maybe cause I'm a little bit taller, like six foot and I have fairly long legs. Um, but frequently not all, but many Harley bikes that I sit on, you know, there's some part of the engine or something that's sticking me somewhere in the legs or something like that. So I don't know, something like that just turns me off, off of a bike. You know, again, it's a cool bike and whatever. And if it fits you, awesome. But I, I don't know, me personally, I want to be comfortable on a motorcycle and I would just, I don't want to have to like compromise my seating position or be uncomfortable or something just to accommodate something that looks cool. Um, and I, and I get, you know, some of this is performance reasons. It's not just to look cool, but still. All right. So moving right along. So that was the schedule, which, okay. So here, so, um, yeah, so looking at the display, so I don't, I can't promise that this thing is to scale, but just looking at the way it's drawn here. So the Kawasaki booth is just a smidge bigger than the Harley Davidson booth. Again, like I said, Kawasaki had watercraft, so maybe we'll call it even. Uh, the Suzuki booth is a little bit smaller than both the Harley Davidson and Kawasaki booths. Yamaha, maybe about the same size as Suzuki, a little bit smaller. Honda, it's a little bit, it's rectangular instead of kind of square. I'd say it's about the same size as like the Suzuki, between the Suzuki Kawasaki booths. Uh, then Cycle Gear, actually both Cycle Gear and Revzilla were there. For anyone that's kind of following what's going on, they're basically owned by the same holding company now. And so there's, you're going to start seeing crossover between Cycle Gear and Revzilla and things like that. But they were both there. Um, and actually, it's interesting because, and again, I don't know if this is to scale, but the way it's shown on the map here, like Cycle Gear had as much space as any of the manufacturers, the motorcycle manufacturers. So that's kind of interesting. Uh, BMW actually had a big display. Uh, and then Giant, mot uh, not motorcycle, Giant Bicycles was there <clears throat> with their electric bicycles. And, you know, I'd say maybe about a fourth the size of like the Harley Davidson booth, but still it's kind of cool that they were there. They had a nice setup. They had something called the IMS Vintage Garage. They had a really nice display of vintage motorcycles, which was cool to check out. And then, of course, you know, they had like the smaller booths for all the different, you know, product vendors. Like, for example, one that comes to mind is Heroic Racing Apparel, which actually I posted stuff on social media. I bought a set of track gloves from them. And it turns out they're actually, they're, I believe, in New Hyde Park, which is maybe only a 30-minute ride from here, from where I live, Um I had heard the name before, but I had no idea they were on Long Island. So it was kind of cool to get a chance to meet the owner and, you know, check out the stuff that he's got and, and buy the gloves and whatever. So that that was really cool. So, all right. So, yeah, that's kind of just how things were allocated. But, yeah, so um, Indian is not shown on this map at all. So obviously it was kind of a fairly last-minute thing. I'm guessing, I don't know how exactly it came about, but someone was probably like, hey, why isn't Indian at the show? And so, like I said, the the dealer that Gina bought her bike from, they're not just Indian, they're like, uh, let me try to think, Indian. They've also Yamaha, Suzuki, and whatever, but they do have a big selection you know, of Indian motorcycles and stuff. So they were there showing the Indian bikes, including the Challenger, the new Challenger. So anyway, so that was cool. 
um, exhibitor list. I'm not going to read through the names here, but it's looking like there's, let's say, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50. I'm guessing about 150 different vendors. Um, the booth numbers, they go up to like 1,300, so that doesn't mean anything. I don't, I don't, know, I don't know what these booth numbers signify, but just roughly looks like about 150 vendors, you know, various sizes. Uh, Zero Motorcycles was there, which I did not mention. They weren't shown on the map. Um, actually, let me just scan this and see if there's Al- Alpine Stars was there. Arai Helmets, which actually I'll talk about when I talk about the helmet I bought. Uh, Arlen Ness was there. Um, Bikers Against Child Abuse had a Baca. They had a, they had a booth set up there so that was really cool california superbike school was there so actually that was kind of um i don't know one of the things that led me to choosing that as the first place where i do motorcycle training is you know i got a chance to talk a little bit to one of the the representatives there and they had it wasn't like a huge discount but they had a little bit of a show special so i got a little bit of a discount on the uh, two-day camp so it was kind of cool seeing them there because like i said i was like okay it's it's time to do something i gotta line up some training at least something for this year so you know when I got a couple of days later after the show, I pulled the trigger and uh, signed up with California Superbike School. So that's in May, and I will be reporting on that when I get to it. Let's see. Click Heat was there. Condor Products. Like I said, Cycle Gear. Dainese was there. Uh, all kinds of things. Dunlop Motorcycle Tires. Eagle Rider, which actually maybe I'll interview them. Um, I got a business card from one of the guys there. Geico was there. Um what else? Like I mentioned Heroic Racing, Hertz Ride. Actually, they're renting, starting to rent motorcycles now. I believe we've talked about that on Throttled. Um, Indian Motorcycle is listed on this printout. It just wasn't shown on the map. Jerky Hut, whatever that is. k Engineering, which I'm guessing is related to k Filters. I'm not sure about that. Liquimale, Michelin Tires, Moscow Moto, Motor Girl, Motorcycle Safety School. I'm just kind of skipping around New York State Motorcycle Safety Program. Um, that's uh, Don. Don, I apologize. I forgot your last name, but I've mentioned him on the show before. Uh, New York State Police was there, just showing like their, one of the police bikes and you know, I guess safety-related stuff and whatever. Revzilla, I mentioned. Oh, Rocky Creek Designs. Um, so I actually bought, actually Gina got for me for Christmas uh, their tire puncture repair kit. It's this cool little like multi-tool it kind of like think kind of leatherman it, it's like a tool a single tool that has everything connected to it you know for handling a puncture in a uh, tubeless tire so that's really cool it's really compact that's it's maybe i don't know four inches long it's about the size of a big like swiss army knife you know? and it's it's fairly lightweight but you know it's about that size like a a large Swiss Army knife, maybe twice the size of a like Swiss Army knife, if you could imagine that. Royal Enfield was there, which is interesting because Gina's got her eye on—I forget the name of it. Escapes me. Maybe I'll see a photo of it. But um, their adventure-style bike. She's—I don't know. She's getting interested in the idea of riding off-road and maybe a little adventure stuff and whatever. And that, that I'm sure that's down the road. But she's got her eye on one of their bikes. So it was cool that they were there. Shark Helmets was there. Showy, of course. Snell Memorial Foundation was there. Uh, Stasic, uh, Stasic uh, you know, the, the kids' bikes, the, the electric bikes. I guess they do push bikes as well. Had a kids' zone where the kids were playing around and stuff, so that was really cool to see. Supermoto East Coast. I don't remember what they do exactly, but I'm guessing Supermoto-related. Uh, Thunder in the Valley. Uh, Tobacco Motorwear Company was there. I didn't really check out much of their stuff, but um, you know, I've listened to the interviews that uh, Ted has done on Motorcycle Men, so check them out if you're interested in like street riding gear. 
Uh, Ventured heated clothing. They had a wheelie machine there, which I didn't really check out. Women's Coalition of Motorcyclists. Yamaha, like I mentioned. Yuasa, I don't know how you pronounce it. Yuasa Battery Company, and et cetera. So, yeah, pretty good representation. It was a pretty broad spectrum. Um, they had this adventure out area that was kind of geared towards, um, you know, adventure bike riding and that kind of lifestyle, like camping gear and, you know, luggage and all that kind of stuff. And uh, that's actually where we had met up with uh, Kristen and her husband you know, from Bond Armor because, you know, she had mentioned that. I guess the guys that the people that run IMS were like, hey, you know, because they're looking at maybe um, having a booth next year with IMS. They're like, hey, maybe this is the kind of area where you should be. So they were checking out if they they thought that would be appropriate for them. So moving right along. Okay, so here's Royal Enfield booth. So, okay, I see the bike that Gina's sitting on. I don't see the name of oh Himalayan Himalayan. Okay, just came to me. Um, she looks really happy sitting on it. So, uh, yeah, you know, it's one of those things. And this is what happened to me with my two bikes. And I'm sure other people experience this. Both the, the Vulcan S and the Z900 RS, the Kawasaki's I own. You know, it was just a thing where I saw the bikes. I liked them. I sat on them. I was like, wow, these are comfortable. It, it feels right. This is my bike. This is what I want. And so she's got that same look on her face. Like, yep, this is the bike for me. So I'm sure that'll be happening soon. Um, BMW had their concept bike, this R18 slash two, I think it's called, like this kind of very heavy, I was it? I think it's a 1.8 liter cruiser type bike. Interesting looking bike. Um, looking at the picture here, it actually looks like a hardtail. I know we've talked about this on Throttled, so I'm not going to go into a lot of detail, but, you know, it is a boxer engine, so you got, you know, a huge cylinder sticking out on either side. They've got this kind of interesting, uh, it's it's basically black, but then the sides of the tank and the, the front forks are like this kind of, I don't know, bronze, not quite gold, sparkly kind of material out, outlined in white. I mean, it's a nice looking bike. They've got chrome highlights here and there. But uh, definitely not my style of bike. So, yeah, the concept R18. Then what do we got here? We got a BMW. Yeah, what is this? R1000R. Okay, giant. So, yeah, so that was kind of interesting. I, It's possible I missed it, but I don't remember. I don't think giant was there the prior year. <clears throat> and I don't remember. I remember there was electric bicycles in the area where people could, could ride a motorcycle for their first time. So you... You would ride a Yamaha electric bicycle, I guess, to just get the feel, and I guess so they could tell if you could balance a two-wheel vehicle. And then people would ride the zero electric motorcycles, which were, you know, dumbed down so that you couldn't overpower them and get yourself in trouble. But I don't remember, like, having a vendor showing electric bikes. So here, Giant had a pretty big display of, you know, they're kind of like a... I don't know what you call them, not, not hybrid, but they're combo, right? So they're like electric assist bicycles, at least the ones that I'm looking at the photo here, uh, kind of mountain biking oriented types. <clears throat> yeah, it looks like they got pretty decent suspension, what knobby tires and the whole thing. And then a company I had not heard of, Momentum, which I guess also is uh, electric bicycles. And it's interesting because they have these very thick down tube, and I am guessing that is where the battery pack is installed. Uh, so instead of having kind of a ugly external pack, and let me just go back. Well, even the Giants, they seem to do the same thing. So it looks like the battery, I guess, is incorporated into the down tube. So you don't have, you know, like kind of what you have on some electric vehicles, kind of like this ugly looking battery pack hanging off. But uh, anyway, so the point I'm getting to is 
I'm not currently interested in electric bicycle. I know it's a popular thing. You know, I know like Larry from Throttled has one. Uh, I know Jed's from Jed's Moto. He's got an electric assist bicycle that they love them. Um, I, I'm not ready to go that route yet. If uh, honestly, if I buy a bicycle, which I'm thinking of doing, I think it's going to not be electric assist, but we'll, we'll have to see. But anyway, it was just cool to see them at the, at the motorcycle show. Cause right. There's this whole idea of these kind of things being a way of getting people kind of into powered vehicles, powered two wheel vehicles, and maybe into motorcycles and, and that kind of thing. Uh, they did have on display the, uh, <clears throat> the super sport bike, the, I guess what, bear with me, Suzuki. Yes. Yeah, Suzuki 600 that, uh, Bobby Fong rode in the road to the, the winning, winning the championship Moto America, 2019 Moto America super sport championship. So, uh, <clears throat> actually I saw him, I saw him, you know, clinch the, the championship at Barber at the end of the season last year. So anyway, it was kind of cool to see the bike up close. So that, that was kind of cool. Um, actually I'm looking here, actually a photo I took, you could see it's actually, it's actually must be the bike he rode because the, uh, the glass on the tack is like shattered. So I guess this is the way the bike came off the track. Um, and actually he, um, he crashed in this bike, I guess. Uh, yeah, I actually have photos of it that I had posted and happened to be at the turn a couple turns before the main straightaway, um, he had an off and actually kind of wicked crash. He didn't get hurt, which was really good. But uh, bike, the bike, I guess, got a little beat up. You can see some of the special switches and like brake bias control knobs and things that are on the bike. So that was kind of cool. Uh, yep, the, the the number 50, which is the number he runs. And then once they knew he clinched the championship, his team had put inside the zero a white number one. So it's like he's number 50, but, you know, he's number one because he won the championship. All right, so that was kind of cool just to be able to check out the details on the bike. And then we got here a V-Strom, Suzuki V-Strom. Okay, cool. Um, I don't know if this is like a backup bike or whatever, but Suzuki in their booth had the Alex Rins. Um, G, uh, yeah, the GS GSX R one thousand R, I guess it's called. I'm not a, I'm not up on all the Suzuki nomenclature, but uh, you could see the Akrapovich exhaust on that, and some of the little bits and pieces, the swing arm, and the whole kind of thing. So that was kind of cool to see a MotoGP bike up close. Um, also, you could see that the aerodynamic wings. Well, not a wing per se, but it's almost looking. It's almost like gills, like you have on a shark, like that kind of shape. So, I guess it was a way to incorporate some aerodynamics without having wings sticking out of the bike. All right, moving right along. Here is me sitting on the Suzuki Katana, which you know, nice bike, uh, but eh, you know, I'll I'll stick with mine. Um, doesn't float my boat. Here is Gina on a Suzuki GSX R. I'm guessing a 1000. Nope, 600. Uh, probably a more appropriate size for her now. Then I talked about the Indian Challenger, um, which is cool, right? So what's different about the Challenger as opposed to, I believe it's the Roadmaster. Again, I don't know the Indian models all that well. Um, is this is a fixed fairing. So handles, handlebars and steering, you know, steers independent of the fairing, whereas on, if I'm not mistaken, the Roadmaster, the front fairing and that whole dash assembly is attached to the, the steering. So, you know, it gives you a heavier feel and whatnot. So uh, this bike, I mean, there was a lot of interest in it. Um, seemed to be pretty, pretty well received. So that, that is good for Indian. Um, what do we got here? Which bike is this? Ah, the Johnny Ray. Um, Kawasaki ZX10RR. 
which was his championship bike for, the, for 2019 in World Superbike. So that's going to be really cool to see uh, what happens. I want to try to follow World Superbike closer this year, you know, like on Throttled. Um, I will continue the Moto America coverage, but um, it's going to be interesting now with um, Garrett Gerloff, right, who was riding Superbikes in uh, Moto America last year, is now stepped up. He's going to be riding a Yamaha and World Superbike. So it's going to be interesting to see you know, out of the out of the box, out of the gate, the first couple of races, how he can do, you know, compared with the guys that have been racing in this series for a while. It's going to be really interesting to see where where he stacks up. So, I'm looking forward to, forward to that, and it highlights the fact that, um, you, you know, this idea of having development series and things. It's like because I'm a big Moto America fan. It's like now knowing something about Garrett Gerloff. And now knowing he's riding a World Superbike, it's like just naturally my interest goes. It's like, okay, well, let me see how Garrett Gerloff does a World Superbike. So now, you know, World Superbike gets some, some extra viewing from me. So it's kind of interesting how that works. Anyway, so that was cool to see that bike. Ah, here we go, the Kawasaki Ninja. This is the uh, the ZH2, which I guess is kind of whatever you want to call it, the, the naked version of the H2. Um, actually, wait, this has got to be... Uh, this is the R. This has got like a ton of carbon fiber on it. This was a really expensive motorcycle. So, uh, nope. You know what? Sorry. This is not the naked. No, sorry. Okay. This is actually the Ninja H2R. Okay. It's just, it's interesting. It doesn't have as much fairing and stuff on the side as I would think the H2 had. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's got a lot of carbon fiber bits and stuff. So this bike lists for $55,000. So, you know, whatever. If, if you're in the market and you got that kind of coin to spend, well, there you go. So it's got just a little, just two two cubic centimeters shy of a liter engine, right? But it's four-cylinder liquid-cooled supercharged engine. So that's really cool. Um, anyway, so that that's, you know, one of those nice bikes to look at. But, you know, you just kind of go, okay, you sit on it and that's cool. And then you move on to something that you might actually be able to afford. Here we go. This must be... Yes, this is the ZH2. So I actually was sitting on that. Price is a little more affordable, $17,000. Um, same basic engine. You know, it's the the, the leader, four-cylinder, but supercharged. So, uh, I mean, interesting bike. Um, I'm not at a point where I'm interested in spending that much on a motorcycle. You know, my Z900RS, all told. I mean, not including tax and destination charges and blah, blah, blah. I think it was like 10.5 or something like that. So this is about 50% more. Not really up to the point of wanting to spend that much on a motorcycle, but who knows if I hit the lottery or uh, really, you know, the podcast really takes off. You just never know. But at any rate, um, interesting looking bike. Um, I'm not really, I love Kawasaki, but I'm not a big fan of the H2 just because, not because, I mean, the performance wise and everything, I think it's awesome. And I'd love to ride one. And I think that's all that stuff is really good. But, um, I just don't like the way they look. It's too transformerish. I'm not really big on on the the styling cues that they use. But I will say the ZH2 being a naked bike is kind of more my cup of tea. In fact, I don't have side by side photos, but I would go as far as saying I like I, I prefer the look of this bike to like the Suzuki Katana. So uh, okay, and then we got a 2020 Ninja 1000 SX for. Twelve thousand three ninety nine. So now, okay. So we're losing the uh, the supercharger, but still liter bike. It's actually a little over a liter. So uh, that's actually not a bad looking bike. So that that's something. Like yeah. So twelve three. So that's just a little more expensive. So that's something I could consider. 
Um, I'm guessing the performance is a fair amount better, better than my Z900 RS. I don't know the exact horsepower figures and whatnot, but anyway, so, uh, yeah, so that's a decent bike. That's something I might look at in the future. Um, you got the option of putting bags on it. I believe they're Givi cases, but they're basically, you know, color match and say Kawasaki and the whole thing. And I'm sure you pay a little extra for that. Then that was interesting. The Z900 RS for 2020, they've got a new color. This may have actually been available overseas in the past, but new color, at least in the U.S., kind of a, I don't know how, like bottle green and yellow. I wouldn't particularly go for the color scheme, but I like it. You know, I think it's nice looking. Um, and then they've got the Cafe Racer. Uh, the one that they had last year, I believe, was kind of all green with a white stripe. Now, for this year, 2020, they've got one which is kind of the Kawasaki, whatever you call it, lime green with black and a white stripe. Nice looking bike. What do we got here? Some kind of Z. Okay, ah, the Z900, not the RS, but the Z900 ABS, which starts at 8999 So nine grand for a four liter four cylinder. That's not bad. Um I'm still not crazy about the looks of it, but you know, whatever could be interesting. I think I think I would go for the the thousand SX before I looked at this bike. Then what do we got? We got another Z. I've got one in blue. That's the Kawasaki. All right, all right, all right. Ah, okay. So Nikon, which I've talked about and uh, did a test ride, which I enjoyed. It was a lot, a lot of fun. But it was cool because Yamaha had a Nikon with all the bodywork stripped off. So it's really kind of cool to see. And you can go online, you can see videos and photos and stuff like that. But to see how fairly complex that front suspension is to have the two wheels. And um, it honestly looks fairly involved and complicated. I mean, it's not necessarily like a bad thing. And it doesn't mean it's any big deal or it's going to be a problem. But just, I don't know, it just seems to be solving a problem that that nobody had you know that's why i think that they really went into this as just a new type of riding experience you know something you know hey if you're not into regular two-wheel motorcycles give this thing a try it's it's something different you know innovative and whatever if, if that's kind of your cup of tea but it just looks way more complicated than you need all right so that was kind of cool to be able to check that check that out without the the body fairing work and all that stuff Tenere 700 they had on display. We've talked about that on Throttled. And then uh, there's some photos here of the vintage stuff. So like they've got here, 1972 Honda CL350 Scrambler. Um, see, so Scramblers are not a new thing. Surprise, surprise. Uh, but they had some really cool bikes. Here's a 1962 Benelli, uh, a Norton 750. Uh, they had on display one of the Moto e-bikes, right? So they're racing the electric bikes in the... Uh, Along with MotoGP, right, you've got the Moto E series, which is really kind of cool, Energica bikes. So, I look, I look pretty happy on that bike, so I'd love to ride one of those. That'd be fun. What do we got? Ah, Shad. So, uh, anyone that's following me on Facebook or whatever, right, so I'm, all my luggage is Givi. I'm kind of a, a Givi fan. I like their stuff. But uh, I will say, you know, before I bought the Givi cases, I had looked at Shad. Uh, S, it's S-H-A-D. Um, the reason I didn't go that route, I'm trying to remember, it was either I couldn't get suitable mounting plates or because the side cases, I was looking for something more kind of rectangular, squared off, and they just had these kind of roundish ones, which look nice on the right bike, but on my bike, you know, because I first got them for the 
the Vulcan S. It just it just didn't look right. But anyway, the point is, I was just looking at some of the stuff um, at the show in their booth, and they've got some really really nice design features, like top case, for example, and even the side cases have like a pop up handle. So. Yeah, you know, and the and the Givis have something like a hand grip built in, but this is like you take the case off and then a handle flips up and you can kind of carry it like a suitcase. It's just kind of kind of novel. Okay, then we got California Super Bicycle. So yeah, so Stasic, right? So had these uh these little electric bicycles for kids to ride around, which was kind of cool, right? A way of getting, you know, young kids into two wheels and the whole kind of thing. And it was interesting. The, the kids were obviously having a good time, but I know a couple of them were low siding in one of the turns because um, basically the, the, the little track was set up on, you know, the convention center floor, which is kind of just poured concrete and I guess fairly slick. So if they overcooked the corners a little bit, they were kind of low siding and, you know, not going fast enough that they got hurt. And it was kind of cool. You know, they would wipe out and then you'd see them brush themselves off and get back on and keep riding, you know, which was cool. They weren't discouraged. But so that, that was kind of interesting. Uh, what do we got here? Looks like a custom bike based on a Kawasaki KZ1000 LTD. Nice looking bike in the... Oh, and that looks like the end of the photo. So, all right, well, so that's the end of my photo. So I guess that's about all I have to uh, to joggle my memory about uh, about the, the motorcycle show in New York City. So maybe just to kind of wrap it up, um, you know, I think this is the third or fourth year that Gina and I have gone to the show. Um, it has shrunken a little bit from when we first went. I know the first year we went, it was on the first floor of the Jacob Javits Center. Then the following year, it was down in the ba- basement. You know, it's not like it feels like a basement, but it's a lower space, basically below street level, which is why I say it's a basement, um, which got like a little bit smaller. But, um, you know, so I guess that goes along with kind of what's going on in the motorcycle industry and things slowing down. You know, the fact that Indian wasn't there, and, you know, maybe they just looked at the numbers. Maybe New York either is not a big market for them or the sales numbers are where they want them to be. And so they didn't want to spend the money to be there. But that was kind of noticeable that Indian wasn't there. Um, I was very happy to see Kawasaki was there. I mean, that that's one thing I will say is and, and Kawasaki has the advantage. And I know like uh, they've talked about this on Asphalt and Rubber. Um you know, the Kawasaki motorcycle division is a very small part of Kawasaki Heavy Industries, which is a huge, huge conglomerate. Um, they do all kinds of stuff. You know, they are, they're into shipping and I don't know if they build ships, but I know they build power plants for ships and, you know, stuff like trains, like bullet trains, and they do all kinds of air, aeronautical, airplane kind of related stuff. So, uh, you know, trucks and I, I believe they do like heavy construction equipment and stuff like that. So the point being that they're, they're a huge, huge corporation with lots and lots of resources. And so, you know, even if the motorcycle division, and I'm not saying it's the case, but even if it didn't make money, it's like such a small part of things. It's like, well, let's just have that cool thing over there that brings us some attention and we can race motorcycles and whatever. But the point I'm getting to is, you know, as a one as a Kawasaki fan, and then just two, just to me as a sign of the industry in general, I like, to see what's going on, not just Kawasaki, other manufacturers too. Harley Davidson's doing a lot of stuff, but you know, the Kawasaki spent the money to have a big booth here. You know, the fact that they've, they've got the H2 with the supercharged engine and like, you know, who really needs that, but it's kind of a cool thing to have. It's like a state of the art, like high tech kind of thing, you know, high performance kind of thing. They keep coming out with new bikes, you know, new models and things. So that to me says there's hope 
you know, there's this definitely some future there. There's lots of stuff going on. I know Kawasaki is working on electric motorcycle. Um, they also supposedly acquired or have some kind of deal with um, Bomoto. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. But anyway, there's a lot of stuff going on. And if you look, and it's not just Kawasaki. I mean, even look at Yamaha with like the, um, uh, the, the Nikon, right? It's like, you know, obviously it took money to develop that thing. Um, you know, and, and maybe it's successful and maybe it's not. But the point is, you know, and again, Holly Davidson, you know, Indian with the FTR, like they're all trying different things. So there's like innovation happening. It's not like the manufacturers are stagnant and dead. So I think that's a good sign. You know, maybe it's a last desperate attempt to revive the industry before it goes under. I hope not because I really enjoy this stuff and I want to see it keep going. But uh, anyway, all right. So just again, back to the show and just kind of wrapping it up. Um it, it is cool to go every year, you know, at the same place and, and gonna kind of use it as a sort of barometer of, of a sense of what's going on in the industry. Is the show bigger? Is it smaller? What are people interested in? You know, I, I like what they're doing, you know, with zero and people being able to ride a motorcycle for the first time. You know, they've got the wheelie thing where people can try that, like try something new. You've got the live wire on the dyno. You can kind of quote unquote ride a motorcycle. They've got the Stasic thing for the kids and whatever. Um, I don't know if, if uh, Mimi and Moto was here, right? The Motorcycle Monkeys, uh, you know, the, the the couple that has the the book, you know, to get young kids interested in motorcycles. I don't think, I think I remember seeing some of their books on display. I don't, I don't think they had a booth here. But again, that's kind of a cool thing to see. So there's a lot of stuff going on. So uh, just to wrap it up, it was a lot, a lot of fun. I enjoyed going. I mean, even if it was half the size, I would go. I just want to see what's going on, what's the latest stuff, sit on some motorcycles, you know, give some thought to what's the next motorcycle going to be or what's the next thing I want to try. For me, you know, right now it's uh, getting on the track. So like I said, California Superbike School in May, which is awesome. Track days, aside from that, if I can, I don't think it's going to happen before I do the California Superbike School, perhaps after. Uh, but we'll kind of have to see on that. I'm going to have to figure out what I would do for a motorcycle and and a tow rig. You know, my uh, I got a 2006 Nissan Pathfinder with 100 and almost 40,000 miles on it. The thing's in pretty good shape, but the stuff is starting to need to be replaced. You know, it's, it looks like the transmission's starting to go. It's getting rough shifting. and right, so I think it's time for a new vehicle. And so if I'm going to do track days, you know, I'm going to need a little trailer set up and a way to haul a motorcycle around here and there, you know, with some equipment and stuff. So might be time to look at a, a new truck, you know, probably an SUV kind of thing, maybe a pickup, but I doubt it, um, and a trailer. So, you know, whatever. I got some work ahead of me aside from getting some gear and stuff like that. You know, I'm set up with with the gloves and the helmet. I want to get myself some boots. I'm actually looking at at Forma boots I'm thinking about, especially because Heroic uh, Racing Apparel sells them and they're close by. I can go try on all the different sizes and, and models and whatnot. And, and that's, by the way, a thing I'm kind of big on now. And like, I'm all for saving money. Like, I don't want to spend more money than I have to. But particularly when it comes to gear, you know, more and more I'm leaning towards, I don't mind spending a little extra money if I can go someplace where I can try the stuff on and like, talk with someone who can consult with me and help me get a proper fit and the proper gear selection. So, you know, it's kind of like what I did with the Arai helmet. Um, you know, it's, 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 it's a more expensive helmet because I want to get something that fit properly. You know, I was able to talk to, and again, in a future episode, I'll talk about this, but actually I bought that helmet. Well, I didn't buy that helmet, but I bought an Arai helmet at the, at the, the New York motorcycle show because Arai had a booth there and I kind of got fitted and, and whatever. So, 
being able to do that and select the proper helmet and for you know the shape of your head and the proper fit and whatever to me it's it's worth i'd much rather spend some extra with an awry than buy another brand where maybe i could save 100 150 bucks but i gotta mail order it and then try it on and maybe it doesn't fit and then you gotta send it back and get another one and you know back and forth kind of thing so anyway so i think this is the fourth time i'm gonna say it's time to wrap it up but um yeah, so that was the Progressive International Motorcycle Show in New York City. Ton of fun. If you've never been to one of these shows, and you know you can find one in an area fairly close by, or even if you don't mind taking a train or a plane to get to one, check it out. I think it's definitely worth it. Uh, like I said, gives you an idea of what's going on in the industry. So we're at about an hour and 15 minutes here, so I think it's time to wrap this one up. So um, upcoming things and... Uh, so, so again, no, no promises. Again, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna promise things I can't deliver. But just thoughts that are out there. Um, I, I do have some more interview shows that I'm starting to line up for the future. So, uh, I believe it's gonna happen next week. We'll have to iron out the details. But Heroic Racing Apparel, I'm gonna be talking to them one about their gear apparel, but also about all the racing activities they're in. Um, in fact, actually, those guys, I believe, are getting ready to head down for the Daytona 200. One of them, it seems, actually is kind of involved in running things down there. So that's kind of cool, which reminds me, I forgot to mention, I am going to be, Gene and I are going to be at the Daytona 200 coming up in March. So that is, we're actually flying Friday the 14th, but so we'll be there the 15th. Um, oops, sorry, wrong wrong. That was February, March. Okay, no, we're flying in the evening of the 13th, and the race is on the 14th. We'll be there. So it's actually kind of cool. So it's at the end of Daytona Bike Week, and they're actually doing a doubleheader this year. So the Daytona 200 road bike race, um, you know, AMA-sanctioned and I believe also FIM-sanctioned, as well as the American Flat Track TT race are going to be on the same day. So Daytona 200, I believe, starts about 11 a.m. in the morning. And then the American Flat Track activities start around 4 p.m. Uh, so we've got our tickets and whatever. We're all set for that. So if anyone's going, like, let me know. We'll definitely, like, hook up down there someplace. At least meet up, if not have some lunch or some dinner or something like that. Um, I, I was looking. Actually, it's really kind of cool. If, if you go to the Daytona International Speedway website, they've got this like this bunch of virtual tour kind of things. So you can actually get a view, not like from every seat, but it's like a Google maps kind of setup where you can like click a seating section and see like, what's the view from that seat. And then you can kind of like in Google maps, you can go left, right, forward, backwards, you know, kind of like check out all the seating and stuff. So I did that. I think I picked some decent seats for us. The tickets to me are not too bad. It was $50, so so there's general admission grandstand seating where you don't have a reserve seat. I think that's $35 for both events. You know, So that's for Daytona 200 and the American Flat Track TT. And then they've got reserve seating, which is either $50 a ticket or $55. The $55 are lowered down, but I actually went with the less expensive ones because I wanted to be a little bit higher up. One, to see the whole track better, but two, to see over the fence because that's sometimes a problem. When you're too close up to the wall and the fence, you sometimes can't see the activity of like, bikes you know going by especially like on the on the main kind of straightaway the front stretch so anyway yeah it was like fifty dollars a person reserved seats for both races so i thought that was pretty cool so really looking forward to that i did try to get media passes um so that i could get track trackside access to do some photography like i've been doing with moto america unfortunately that didn't pan out 
Um, what Daytona Raceway said was basically they've got so much interest and so much going on that they really only give, you know, press passes and photo passes to, you know, bigger media outlets, you know, with, uh, they didn't say it has to be print magazine, but, you know, you get the idea. It's like, you know, racing magazines and motorcycle magazines, I guess, and stuff like that. And they said they don't give credentials to podcasts, you know, vloggers or, you know, social media type people. So that's the way it is. It's kind of disappointing. You know, I'd love to be able to to get closer to the track, get some great photos, you know, get to talk to racers and whatnot and be able to report in more detail on the podcast. But, you know, just kind of so fine. So bought tickets, uh, you know, we'll go as spectators. And then um, so which which leads me to the point, if you're a list, if, if you're listening and you happen to either have connections yourself or maybe know someone who could help me get trackside access for doing photography and whatnot, let me know. That would be really cool. Um, you know, even if it was through another media outlet or something like that, because like I said, you know, I'd like to do the best best coverage I can. I'm definitely set up with all the photo gear and whatnot, and you know the more the more detail, the more I can talk about on the podcast. I think the better the better in general, better for the podcast and the listeners, but also you know for the motorcycle industry. Yeah, so that is that. So Daytona 200. So really looking forward to that. Um, you know, Kyle Wyman won last year. I actually had interviewed him on the podcast. I think it was episode 27. Let me look real quick. Uh, no, maybe 25. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I should I should have all this memorized. Um, Twenty thirty six. Do 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 do. Giving thanks. Uh, Dave Moss, Bond Body Armor. Here we go. Chris Bates. Okay, episode twenty five um, was when I interviewed Kyle Wyman, who won the Daytona two hundred last year. He is racing in the two hundred again this year, so he's defending his uh, his 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 win. His you know his I don't know if you call it a championship, but his race win for the two hundred. Um, so he's being. At least one of his sponsors is uh, N2 Track Days, which um, actually I had uh, interviewed uh, Robbie Ciccolo Jr., who works for N2. So, uh, yeah, so it's kind of cool connections there. So I'm hoping to get a chance to meet up. You know, I mean, he's going to be busy racing, but maybe maybe bump into Kyle at the Daytona 200 and just get a brief chance to chat with him. For anyone that follows me on social media, you'll know that um, – I joined this year the KW Army, Kyle Wyman Army. So it's basically kind of his fan club to basically help support his racing effort. So you can go to his website. You can go to, it's, I think, kwarmy.com. I can put a link in the show notes. But, um, yeah, so, so basically he's got three membership levels, even at the lowest level, which I think is... I want to say I think it's seventy five dollars a person. You actually get your name on the on the tail of the motorcycle. I don't know if there's any slots open for that because uh, I, I believe it's a limited number of people that will fit. But uh, that's kind of cool, um, you know, as, as a perk. And then you help support his racing effort. I I signed up signed up at the top level, which is kind of cool. You can also you know check out on his website the details and whatever. But one of the things that's included is a Moto America Live Plus Pass, which I was going to by anyway so i was like wow that's really cool that's included and then uh you also get an hour online consultation with kyle because he does that it's one of his like little side businesses to help riders and races and stuff like that so i was like okay that's really cool that that's kind of included and then you get some you know cool swag you know a kwr uh you know kyle wyman racing you know sweatshirt hoodie and and the whole deal so anyway um you know kyle's a really good guy i, I love the fact that he's a privateer I just love the whole story of what he did, you know, 
you know, just walking into a Ducati dealership and buying, you know, two uh, Panigale V4Rs and setting them up for racing. He's doing all kinds of customizations on those things. That's from Motor America for the Superbike program. Daytona 200 is super sport at 600cc bikes, and he's riding a Yamaha, if I'm not mistaken. Different bike. But, but anyway, still, I just uh, I love seeing what Kyle's doing. He's a really cool guy. Highly, highly motivated. You know, I like the fact that he's got a privateer team in Motor America, you know, and he's <clears throat> racing up against the big boys and, and putting in a good effort and stuff. So, you know, if I can help support him, it's just it's just a lot of fun. And, uh, yeah, anyway, so that, that's my little plug for Kyle Wyman. So, uh, hey, Kyle, if you happen to be listening, man, just shoot, shoot me a message or something. But, uh, yeah, so uh, time to wrap it up. So, like I said, if you're going to be at Daytona 200, let me know. We'll hook up. And, uh, yeah, so... Uh, Look forward to talking to everyone in the next show, which hopefully will be in like a week or so. If you'd like to find out more about my podcast or find the earlier podcast episodes, just point your web browser to soyouwantarideamotorcycle.com or find the link in the show notes included with this episode in your podcast app. If you have any questions about the show or the topics discussed, or if you want to send me feedback, you can email me anytime at soyouwantaride at yahoo.com. That address is also in the podcast notes. You can also follow me on Facebook and Instagram, where I share lots of links to other people's motorcycle articles and video content, as well as providing a lot of my own motorcycle-related photos and content. Just search for So You Want to Ride or find the links on my website or, again, in the podcast notes. There are two big ways you can help support the show. One is free and one is paid. If you'd like to help support the podcast financially, you can donate using PayPal by going to paypal.me slash Christopher or just click the donate link at the upper right on my website. I also now have a podcast supporters page on the website, which lists all of the listeners who are supporting the podcast. Total donations of $5 to $9 will make you a member of the Thumper Club, where I will list your name and any social media links that you want to provide. Donations of $10 and up will make you a member of one of the other clubs where I'll include your photo and biography as well as any links you want to provide. Any commercial organization that would like to support the podcast to help promote their products and services can contact me directly for the available options. All donations will be put to very good use to cover operating expenses and to help promote and expand the podcast. Anything you care to donate will be greatly appreciated. The free way to help is just help me spread the word so we can continue to grow my online and listener communities. So please share the link to my podcast and my social media with family, friends, and coworkers. And also, please leave me a rating and some comments on iTunes and any other place where you can leave feedback or mention the show. As always, thank you for listening. And just remember, whatever you do, it's always time to ride. (laughs) 